Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. As always, I am your host, Claire Watkins, and this week we are joined by somebody new. We got somebody new to come in and talk about a whole mess of stuff in the NWSL this week. This week, I am joined by Caitlin Best, uh, primarily of the Rose City Review out in Portland and also Equalizer contributor. How's it going, Caitlin? Uh, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Well, I I say that I'm good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We have a lot of things to talk about this week. And this is sort of the curse of doing a weekly show, which is that it begins to pile up and you hope that maybe you're just talking about a lot of soccer games, but in fact, that's not what we're going to be talking about here at the beginning of this podcast. So I'm just going to do a quick list of the immense amount of stuff that happened this week. And then we're going to kind of dive in and talk about it. So thing number one is Christy Holly racing Louisville's Christy Holly was terminated for cause this week. Effective immediately. Mario Sanchez took over as the interim coach, we don't have details. Well, we will talk about this, but we don't have details on what exactly led to Holly's termination. But when you say it's for cause, you can imagine that it was something pretty assured and pretty serious. Scott Parkinson, Chicago Red Stars assistant coach, was announced as the new head coach of Gotham FC, taking over for Freya Kuhn, who, who, as we mentioned, is going to take over the Angel City job. Uh, we had Angel City themselves actually in the news a tiny bit. They kind of got overlooked a little bit by other things. They were fined for the announcement of the signing of Kristen Press. So what, as I understand it, what happened with Angel City is that they announced that they had signed her when that deal had not actually been either finalized or approved by the league itself. The trade, no problem announcing the trade. League announced it, club announced it, all of that sort of stuff. It was the signing that was the issue. Uh, we also had kind of a big COVID scare this week in the league when the Washington Spirit had to postpone, cancel. We're not entirely sure their match against the Portland Thorns due to four positive COVID tests within the squad. We'll dig into that more in a second. And then the final thing, positive news, I think, is we found out today, it's Sunday evening, we found out today that we do know where the NWSL championship game is going to be. It will be in Portland on November 20th at 12 Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. So... I don't know. What do you want to take on first, Caitlin? What do you feel? Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, the, I guess the, the thing that's most immediate in my mind is the, the COVID thing from yesterday. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, do you want to, do you have any starting thoughts on that? Uh, well, maybe I'll hit you with a question, which is sort of tell me what it felt like being local media in Portland, kind of seeing this all play out, maybe give the Portland perspective first. Uh Geez, I don't know. I just, you know, it was like 10, 30, 11 when that news came out. And I was like, had my day all planned out. Uh, I was going to go meet up with some folks in the afternoon and then go to the game in the evening. And then it's like, oh, surprise, there's no game. Um, and I think at that point, the mood was sort of just like frustration with whoever was responsible for this, which like, we don't really know, but right. you know, some combination of like some players and some level of organizational failure and uh, just like, I don't know, the, the general mood uh, approach that this country has taken to this stupid virus. Um, it's sort of spilling over into this space, um, once again. Um, right. And I mean, it seems significant that we have seen breakthrough cases of vaccinated players, right? We had that in North Carolina earlier in the season, right? 
And that felt very contained because the NWSL did sort of change some of their protocols for if you're vaccinated, then the players around you are not considered close contacts. And so what they did, which maybe in this moment feels a little bit unfair to North Carolina, is they had the game go on, but with a greatly reduced 18, available 18 or reduced roster. Um, So, yeah, so we should specify here. and, And this is where things get a little bit complicated because as of this moment, there's been some differing information kind of coming out of a number of different sides. So we know that there are four positive COVID cases. The league spokesperson said that by July of 2021, every team in the league was at 80% or 85% or higher vaccination, right? Yeah. There are sources in Washington who have talked to the athletic, have talked to a variety of different people on the ground in DC that say that, the spirit are not at that number that they have upwards of eight players who are not vaccinated. Now we also don't know if the unvaccinated players are the positive COVID cases. We don't know that it could be a breakthrough case. We don't know, but we, what we do know, it's like what we don't, what we do. We do know that when you have a certain, because of these protocols that the NWSL has put in place for vaccinated versus unvaccinated players, the close contacts is the issue when you have a large unvaccinated population within a team, which led to a game that was originally canceled. Then they were hoping to reschedule it for Tuesday. And then Merritt Paulson said that that's not happening and that they're going to find out what happens next. So first question for you, Caitlin is the obvious one. Uh, Should Washington have to forfeit this game? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that you, I mean, I, the, the North Carolina thing, I, t- I, I totally understand how people in North Carolina um, feel a little bit slighted like that and, and might kind of feel like they're getting punished for doing the right thing, which is, you know, you have these players that get, that get breakthrough cases. What are you going to do about that? that? That they ostensibly were doing what they're supposed to be doing and they got it anyway, which happens. Um so I think that if the outcome is the same on a team where a bunch of players supposedly are unvaccinated, they have to have a different, there has to be a disincentive for that to happen. And um, I mean, the NFL announced that that's what they're, they're doing, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I just think that you have to set up incentives and um, if you don't, there's no reason for them to follow the guidelines. And that, what is the point of even, you know, encouraging people to, to get the vaccine at that point. So, right. um, I, I know that, that there was a little bit talk of like Portland losing the gate revenue, which, mm-hmm. you know, sucks. Um, but I, yeah. but that happened anyway. Right. Right. That's yeah. done. That's right. over. Um, so yeah, I think that a forfeit makes sense. And I think that the league should make a rule saying that going forward, that's what happens. Okay, so I 100% agree that that should be a rule going forward. Can you penalize a team for a rule that did not exist at the time? Yeah, that's a fair, that's a fair game? question. That's, that's a fair question. Time. Yeah. I, and I don't know. I mean, I think that's debatable. I think that my assumption is that Merrick Paulson is going to push for that, that to be a forfeit because I sure. think that he's unhappy um, and like understandably so. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> On the one hand, it does seem unfair. On the other hand, like getting vaccinated is basic stuff. It's like, right. We shouldn't have to have a conversation about this. You should be doing it anyway. Um, right. And and the league did, like we said, sort of alter some things, right? They changed some of the travel protocols. They changed some of the interactions you can have 
with teammates. There were some, some little things, just sort of quality of life things that they did change that were easier if you were vaccinated versus if you were unvaccinated, but they did not take the step of putting in competitive sanctions essentially for not. Yeah. And I I just, my position on, I mean, I I think that any time with, with any like issue within a sport, I think that a competitive sanction is the only thing that's really going to work. You you think about like, you know, people, people do homophobic chants at games. The only thing that's going to work is if the team loses a game when that happens, you know, like nothing else is really a meaningful uh, sanction as far as that stuff goes. Right. Yeah. And I, I also think that when you look at, and we'll get in, you know, later, we'll talk about sort of the results of the weekend and stuff like that. But for Washington, if they forfeit this game, now, obviously, you know, you're traveling to Providence park. You don't know if you're going to get a three points without out of that anyway. Right. Obviously, but that would be a big game to, to lose. And right. so you might find that it, it changes some of the tone in the locker room. And again, I, I just want to be really clear. We don't know exactly how many unvaccinated people we have in, they have in that locker room. We don't know why the numbers are not lining up between what the league is saying and what we've heard out of the team. But yes, I think that there has to be those place, things in place. And I think, again, in the wave of all this other stuff that we mentioned at the top of the show, it's just another situation where the league seems a little bit unprepared, right? Yeah, uh, for sure. This is this is something that... Uh... Should have thought of this, could have thought of this and should have a long time ago, but here we are. I also think it's interesting because, you know, you and I talk about this all the time, but teams are going through this sort of on their own. You know, you have teams who are making decisions about media, in-person media, Mm -hmm. media needs to be masked in the press box that they're vaccinated, unvaccinated, all that sort of stuff. And each team is kind of figuring this out. Everybody's doing their own thing. Exactly. And so it's not shocking to hear that maybe with player protocol, you're seeing something similar. And so that's where guidance would be helpful. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, another thing that I, I have been curious and I know a lot of people have been curious about, you know, the the league spokesman is saying 85% of all teams, which may or may not actually be true, but what actually is the percentage on each team? Um, Right. I think, I don't know. I'm curious about that. And I don't know what the answer is. I supposedly all of the Thorns players and staff are vaccinated. Um, and they, in fact, like went out of their way to, to get the vaccine as early as they could. I remember when that happened. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of player safety, that's sort of the thing. It makes sense what you're saying. Uh, yeah. like, the most important thing is the percentage of vaccinated people within a team environment. Right. Right. That's the most important thing. And so I think, right, you said Portland at 100%. We saw reports that the Orlando Pride are at 100%, I believe, uh, it was that they said the Houston organization, they said even for the dynamo and the dash upwards of yeah. 95%. Um, so I, think I saw somewhere that rain was all but one, all but one. And I know rain, they, I think they implied that that was a medical exemption, yeah. which is understandable. Um, so we're getting high numbers from, from other teams in the league. And so it's interesting because when this news like this breaks, you think, Oh, wow is Washington not an anomaly here? You know, are all of these teams at 65% vaccination? That seems bad. Um, But it turns out that maybe this is an isolated cause and maybe all the more reason to incentivize that particular team to step up because. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Finish your thought. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that uh, I think the other thought that I had was, and this like might sort of lead into another topic of discussion this really just felt like <laughs> the perfect icing on the cake of like everything else that's happening with the spirit right now. And right. I don't know, yeah. like, we don't know what happened. We don't know how many players are, are vaccinated and for what reason, you know, it's all speculation, but 
it, <laughs> when you when you think about an organization that is becoming increasingly clear that it's dysfunctional, like this feels like a, a pretty good reflection of that potentially. Right. Yes. Right. It's maybe similar. It's a similar thought, right? Where you are thinking, oh, is everybody dealing with this and Washington is just unlucky or is Washington a special case? Right. And it exactly. is starting to think like all the chips are falling in one direction. This is a good point. Probably Let's talk a little bit about the other thing that was happening as all of this news was coming out, um, which this again gets a little bit complicated because things are being reported. People are being sourced. We're getting a lot of different information at once, and I don't ever want to misrepresent anything, but I do recommend going and reading the Washington Post. Molly Hensley Clancy has put a number of good pieces out. One of them was about the ownership struggle that is happening with the Washington spirit right now. And John and I talked about some of the fan displeasure last week, but this was specifically about why Michelle Kang and, um, Oh, this is hilarious. Steve Baldwin. Steve Baldwin. <laughs> I forgot, his, <laughs> forgot his name for a second. That's wild. Um, there is a power struggle between the two of them right now. And it seems specifically like Steve Baldwin is maneuvering. I don't know what the right word is, but there was some sourcing trying to wrap Kang into this story, uh, the yeah. story of the COVID outbreak just, and just wild and anti-harassment, which that was brought up by team CEO, Larry Best. And we don't know what that was for, but you're skeptical a little bit. And it really seems like this has tipped. I will say for me in Washington, this has tipped over into, is this team going to exist by the end mm. of this season territory? Yeah. And yeah, I'm not I, sure what the answer is. Yeah, it definitely, I mean, this is unfortunately the kind of stuff that, that you know, you, you think back to the original Kansas City or the Breakers or the Royals, like, this is the kind of stuff that <laughs> sort of leads to a collapse like that. But what's so frustrating here is that there is an owner in right. Washington ready yes. to buy the team. Mm -hmm. And it would be the stupidest thing in the world if they couldn't figure out how to get her ownership of the team. Right. Um. But I, I mean, with that said, like, I don't, I, I was talking about this with some people yesterday. Like, I don't actually know, the, can the owners vote Steve Baldwin out? Like, what is their, the, meaning the other owners of in the league, right? Like, what is the the mechanism for like removing a bad owner? Because like Deloitte right. Hansen, as far as I remember, just sort of stepped down out of like shame. Well, um, and that was also triggered by MLS as much right, as it, it was right, by NWSL. Yeah. Both sides of the thing. So right. I mean, do you know the answer to that? Like, I don't know actual... the answer to that, but it does lead me to this feeling, which is similar to not having like competitive COVID sanctions or mm -hmm. an anti-harassment policy before March, 2021, right. where like, it's possible that the rule doesn't exist. They haven't thought of this. Yes. And I think that that's why you might see a situation that seems very bad, but if you have no cause, no legal cause to remove somebody who clearly at this point does not want to be removed. Right. And I don't know what you do. Um, but right. I agree with you. This, this is the thought that I had, which is, you know, one of the tragedies of the whole Deloy Hansen situation was that the Royals never found a buyer, a good yeah. buyer to take care of that team. That is not the situation with the spirit. They have someone right. ready and willing to, right. to step up and be the majority owner. Um, and it's not that she's even the minority owner now. She is an equal partner with Baldwin, yeah. but she's not being treated that way. Um, no, she's not. No. 
Uh, so, you know, this was the, <laughs> I think this answer at this point is obviously, but this was something that I asked John, uh, last week. So Washington is weird in this way because their point per game ratio at this moment is better than many of the other teams in the playoff race that they're in right now. Do you think that the center can hold though? Do you think that this will eventually mean that they just cannot make it happen on the field? God, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't look good, does it? No, it doesn't look good. No. Yeah. I did. I did joke to somebody earlier. I was like, I just don't think this is their year. I think it's probably not. (laughs) No, it doesn't win it all. No, no. But, but here's the thing. Uh, I had forgotten this until today, six teams in the playoffs. So it's true. There's still hope for them to get into the playoffs. They're in a great position right now. They're in six. They are two games behind both Orlando and Chicago who are ahead of them in fourth and fifth. Washington is in a perfectly good position. They're three, two points behind both those teams with two games in hand. Yeah. So it it is very, very doom and gloom right now, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, No. And I think, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I I, I don't know that situation. That's, that's one of those things where like, I have no idea what the mood is in the locker room or anything like that, but right. I think it probably depends in part on how this situation gets resolved and if they somehow, you know, end up fixing the ownership issue and getting a decent coach in there, then right. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, We'll see. So maybe to stay on, we'll stay on bad news. I think a little (laughs) bit before we'll, we'll close with, with some better news. Um, So we had another coach get fired this week for, I actually can't even say what for. I don't know. You assume if someone, yes, for cause. Um, there were some reports that indicated a toxic situation in the locker room. There have been a number of other rumors that have not been substantiated. Christy Holly, which Caitlin, you, you and I have both been, you know, following and covering mm-hmm. the league for a number of years when he was first hired. I remember thinking to myself, huh, I didn't think he was going to get another shot here. Yeah, it it seemed, uh, (laughs) I don't know what I thought. I just thought, well, I guess they think he's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever that means. Yeah. Uh, Um, And he turned out to be, it feels, you know, slimy to say, but obviously the team on the field has been doing Right. He, was a, he was a fine coach. Yeah. As for an expansion squad. Right. Yeah. Um, but which I mean, that, that was the case at his last job too. Right. Like he was fine at his job as a coach. Right. Yes. Um, or fine, you know, good enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> fine. In, in like certain key respects, not in sure. others. Um, so maybe just getting bigger picture because we don't have the details of the story other than we we certainly probably can speak towards the feeling of second chances. And actually, th- there is one thing that I, I wrote down, and I do kind of want to say this, and this seems like an overarching theme with a number of these situations. And I actually want to take it back to, like, Gotham and Elise LeHue, Washington and Richie Burke, and mm-hmm. Louisville and Christy Hawley. And in any sort of corporate structure, whatever, in the United States you have to be really careful about what you say if you have been accused of wrongdoing because there are legal implications to that. Mm -hmm. 
But the thought that I just keep having about, and, and with LaHue, it's not really her, but it's more just Gotham as a whole, or the sky blue as a whole, not really dealing with the environment that they fostered for a number of years, is you just didn't see people saying sorry or mm. saying, I have internalized this thing that I did before and I want yeah. to be different. Yeah, and you can do. point to those things with like, yeah, Sky Blue being really bad in 2018. Christy Holly with <laughs> Sky Blue in yeah. 2017. Richie Burke as a youth coach. Like, yeah, I don't know what you do because I understand why people don't want to say those things publicly. But yeah, this- <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. Your I thoughts? mean, I think, yeah. I think I, I understand what you're saying. And I, right. It, it's not necessarily easy to say like a good apology consists of a few things one of which is you acknowledge what you did wrong right uh you you acknowledge why it was hurtful to the wronged party um and then you say i'm gonna do x y and z to make sure that i don't do this again like that's that's what like a good apology looks like obviously if you're potentially in legal trouble there's parts of that that you can't do right but i do think that there's like a spectrum and you know there's the full apology on one end and then there's completely ignoring it, digging in your heels, insisting that you did nothing wrong on the other end. And I mean, we saw those, those texts with, with Richie Burke and I guess a spirit fan where he's insisting that, you know, it's not, I don't want to talk about this. It's these people have it all wrong. Like somebody's out to get me. I'm great. The players love me. <laughs> they sent me an edible arrangement. Right. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that there's a spectrum and I think, you know, ideally somewhere along the line, we hear apologies from, from people that have been in those situations. But, um, I, I just do think that there's better and worse ways to handle the legal, you know, balance the legal responsibilities with the responsibilities to all the people that you, uh, hurt. Right. And I think that that's a good point too, because that is another thought that I had, um, even just again, going back to the turnaround with sky blue, you know, as they turned into Gotham and how things were a lot better. And we saw, you saw thank yous, right? Thank yous to cloud nine. Thank yous to Mm -hmm. players who have stuck with them, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but not even, but in a way of like, thank you for sticking with us. We're going to do better now Mm -hmm. without really digging into, and this is a hard thing to do, but maybe what I'm saying is I saw Louisville, you know, and this is not on the the Twitter admin in any way, but Louisville's Twitter this week has been interesting. Um, and, and there were moments where they're trying to maintain a positive and a positive feeling towards their team Mm -hmm. when the team got something really wrong from the very beginning. (laughs) That's a challenge. Yes. And I think that there is this tendency in sports, especially to just be like, uh, well, he's gone and we're moving on and right. please stick with us. We will do better next time without ever actually talking about the thing that went wrong or the bad thing that happened. Yeah. And I just, I don't necessarily think that that's a great environment to actually do better in the future. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's, yeah, I think that's sort of in the DNA of a sports you know, the, the way that sports teams communicate. I mean, you think about the sports teams never really want people to know people on the outside to know what's going on internally. They just don't. And so, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, and plus it, it's like a competitiveness thing, you know, right. You're what you're trying to do is prove that you're better than all these other teams in the league. And so any kind of acknowledgement of, you know, personal 
uh, misdeeds is in some way an acknowledgement that you're not as good as the other teams that you're competing against, I think, which is a weird mindset to have, but I do think that's um, part of what goes on here. I mean, you, you even think about like the, the situation with the lights in Louisville, right. Um, where you know, there was talk about certain players saying it's, this is like, I have a sensory thing with the lights and it, it really bothered me when the lights went off and they kind of dig in and are like, no, 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 the lights are good. It's fine. Like nobody has a problem with this. And there's a there's a conflation of like the off-field stuff with the competition on the field that happens I think a lot and um you're right is not conducive to like productive conversations about any of this stuff right I think yeah to the the one final other thought I totally agree and I think the other part of this and not to match you know Steph and Meg over at the athletic but it is capitalism right it's oh yeah it all is (laughs) it's all marketing Um, it's not good marketing to admit that your team has done something wrong. It's not good marketing to, uh, even take space. That's the other thing too. I think sometimes when you think about people being rehired into other dangerous situations is that this capitalistic system, especially sports, there is no greater content generation generator in this country than sports. It is every minute of every day. And to actually take time to, if you're someone who has done wrong to actually better yourself in order to be better in the future, or if you're an organization that needs to make a hire, taking the time to make sure that's the right person when you're running yeah. out of time, because you need to have right. a team you on the field. Yeah. yeah. And you need to be marketing. You need to have faces. You need to have things that people can grab onto because you need them to buy into the thing that you're building. Right. And that just constant churning. Mm-hmm isn't i mean unfortunately it's just not conducive first of all to to growth or Mm -hmm. change and it's also not even necessarily great for good stewardship which maybe leads me to my final question and this is a big one um we're talking about a lot of team issues here we're talking Mm -hmm. about washington and louisville um and my question to you and gotham and you know all that sort of stuff I see a lot of people looking for action from the league, Mm. which I understand. Mm. And even in talking about this COVID situation, a lack of leadership can really exacerbate issues. Yes. But how much of this is the league's fault? (laughs) I mean, that's what, I don't know. It's, this is a whole can of worms, I think, because I do think that like (laughs) people, I think, fans historically in this league and I've probably said this to you a bunch of times fans historically in the in this league like have this perception that the league is like this structure and it's an organization and there's people over there making decisions and you know coming up with rules and enforcing those rules and doing all this stuff and (laughs) none of that is really true the league is there's Lisa Baird and then there's a bunch of owners and that's really most of what the league is right and so when you say is this the league's fault it's like yeah I mean there should be more because the the teams are the league the teams are the league exactly so so I mean kind of yeah but but really the issue is that there should be more of an organization there than there is right and if there was if this structure that I think people sometimes kind of imagine actually existed then I think it would be fair to you know expect expect them to to uh deal with with some of this stuff but like that just doesn't exist and so it's kind of a 
it's hard to it's hard to place the blame on anything but like a bunch of individuals um sort of making their own decisions in the moment and and then as a corollary to that like the blame is with the, the structure that exists which is like insufficient to you know the task that it, it that needs to be carried out does that make yeah. sense yeah no it does yeah um and within that context of maybe there's just so much action that the league isn't even ready for, despite the fact that it desires it, because even just in player movement, stuff like that, you know, we have a double expansion draft coming up. The league is growing. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't necessarily feel prepared. No, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> but here's, here's one thing. I don't yeah. know if this is, this might be insane of me and this might be like totally naive and foolish. I do. So, so the harassment policy was put in place earlier this year. We're seeing all this stuff happen with harassment. Mm-hmm. My hope is that this is like we're flushing the toxins out of the system with this harassment stuff, and right. that you know all these people were in the league um, when that policy was put in place. And so my hope is that at some point we get through with getting rid of those people and teams have to be more careful about who they hire. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know if that's totally naive or not, but that is right. my hope of a silver lining with all this is that eventually it sort of flattens out and we get to a better place. Yes, I agree. And I, I also think, and I've said this on this podcast before that when there is a ratified collective bargaining agreement, that will mm-hmm. also go a long way yeah. there. We're getting there. None of it's happening fast enough, right. but, um, then this leads me actually to my final question, okay. which is the, the NWSL has seen, I would say it's, it's greatest growth year was 2019, right? Lots of people mm-hmm. who came yeah. in in 2019, maybe even some of that is contracted through the pandemic year, which is pretty normal, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of longtime fans of this league. There are a lot of people who maybe came in in 2015, have been around since the league's inception. Is it fair to ask, and we've talked about this privately, but I'm asking on the podcast, is it fair to ask fans who have been fans of this team for fans of these teams for a long time to sit through this quite honestly, painful period of change? Mm -hmm. How does the, what do you do if you're a fan of this league? Do you take a step back? come back later i don't know yeah well i mean i you tweeted about this the other day and i think that was pretty apt i think it's just like (laughs) people can do as they wish you know you you can watch this if and and like i i go through the same thought process as a a writer like there was a moment a few years ago when i was sort of feeling bad about the a lot of things that were going on as far as me being a writer about the league and i considered quitting um and then I, I realized that actually, like, there was a way for me to sort of compartmentalize and accept the things that were bad. And, you know, at the end of the day, I really did still find a lot of uh, joy from from doing the writing. And so I, I just think that, like, with, with anything in life, if something gets to be too painful because there's all of this crap going on that, like, yeah, nobody should have to watch this or be subjected to it. Like, you can walk away. That's fine. I, I you don't have to like martyr yourself in, you know, continuing to buy tickets and support this league. And um, I, yeah, so I, I think it's just a question of like, when do the things that suck start to outweigh the things that are fun about it? And I think when that happens, like you should stop watching and, you know, maybe next year you, you try again, 
and it's better. I don't think anybody should feel, I mean, it's, it's weird to, to say that people should feel obligated to watch a sports league, right? Like that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very woman's sports. Yes. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that I'm, I'm with you on that. And even just maybe part of it too, is I think that everyone, including us, like we are included in this. Um, there's this idea of being constantly engaged and that's the only way to interact with it. And I think I would encourage people to like ease in and out, you know, yeah. take a step away, come back Absolutely. when you want to. And, and don't feel bad about enjoying the parts that you do enjoy. I think is the yes, other thing I think, as well. Yeah. I think that's key. I agree with that. Um, you can't, yeah, life's too short. You can't, you can't let this stuff ruin whatever enjoyment you're able to get out of the rest of it. Yeah. Agreed. So this has been the philosophy A block of (laughs) (laughs) this week's Equalizer podcast. We'll talk about uh, championship game stuff, Portland, and a whole slate of NWSL games in the next section. So we'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. I'm going to do the thing that I do every single week. I'm going to ask you to rate and review, give us a five-star rating, give us a really nice review. It helps people find us. Everyone who has listened to this podcast has heard this a million times before, but if you haven't done it yet, why not give us a rating, give us a review. It helps people find us. I am joined by Caitlin best out in Portland. And this is going to be a little Portland heavy at the beginning here, despite the fact that they did not play a game this week, just because it's good to check in with the league leaders, ICC champions, desire to win everything club out in Portland. And as we know now, the hosts of the 2021 NWSL championship game, as mentioned before, November 20th, 12 Eastern nine local. That's maybe where we'll start at Providence park. So walk me through this, Caitlin. Uh, we find out first. Yeah. It's going to be in Portland. That's great. Right? Yeah. Good. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> You know, we're like that, you know, great place a, for a championship, great place for a championship. They love soccer in that city. They do. <laughs> uh, they have a vaccination mask or negative test mandate. Wonderful. Yep. Really good. Uh, and then we get hit with the time. Time seems pretty bad, right? Time's challenging. Yeah. So I, this is hard to talk about because I don't think there's an obvious answer here. I think that there are like a lot of different options that I'm sure the league weighed. Mm -hmm. Um, One being, do you want to be on big CBS or not? Right. If you decide that you're okay with being on Paramount plus a a well-produced game, right? A highly produced game, same thing they would do for champions league or something like that, but it's on Paramount plus you have to have that service to watch it. You can do it a little bit later. Do you decide I actually, I wrote all this down. I don't know if there are a, are a ton of obvious other venues. And this is the thing that is a complicated thing with an NWSL championship, especially one that got announced on September 5th for November 20th, is you start whittling things down, right? You've got mm-hmm. two NWSL teams that play on baseball fields. You have a number of teams that have rental deals. Like Gotham has a rental deal and Washington has a rental deal. They are at the mercy of, of the men's teams there. You have the MLS teams, right? You've got obviously Portland, though Portland's owner is very, very obviously open about wanting that to be as equal as possible. Um, it's a little bit less clear sometimes with Houston and Orlando, if that's the case, North Carolina, they have both, they have both hosted championships. 
Houston, they also, Orlando. right. That's the other thing too. I was about to say Orlando, Houston, and North Carolina, Carolina who I was about yeah. to mention have all hosted those, uh, have hosted games recently. Um, then you go to Louisville or Chicago. The only thing I'll say about this, and this is not inside information in this year in any sort of way is just putting on a championship game is expensive. Mm-hmm. And in a year when you don't know what neutrals will travel. And in fact, it might be very few, especially right. the weekend before Thanksgiving, when we are still in a pandemic. Yeah. I don't know if Chicago, you know, Chicago is going to be cold by November 20th. Yes. Anyway, yep. I'm not sure that's really a great option. Could be <laughs> two feet of snow by then. Um, yeah. And, it, and like I said, it's expensive. You have to be willing to understand that you're going to get the gate that you're going to get and you have to commit your, your ticketing department and your staff and your media relations to hosting a media day and open trainings and all of the things that go along with a championship game. And if your team's not in it, that's a lot of resources that you're probably not necessarily getting back. Yep. So Portland it is, Right. Right. And yeah, I mean, just as far as the fans thing go, people are going to show up in Portland no matter what. Obviously, if the Thorns are in it, like it will be it will sell very well. But I think that even if it was too, if it was it ends up being a neutral site, I think that people will go to it. So, I mean, you both have another team where I think that still would be true was Louisville. I actually think yeah, could have pulled some people. Well, and I think I mean, that was kind of what people were speculating was that it might be this might be their year because because I mean, that's the other obvious choice. They have the new stadium um it's nice uh never been there before like louisville would have potentially been yeah a good choice too yeah um but yeah i also think that mary paulson is like willing to to fork over a lot of money for this kind of thing um and like we don't know what happened behind the scenes obviously as far as like making this decision but um yeah it, it feels like a safe choice in a lot of different respects yes uh agreed yeah, I would have liked to see it in Louisville just because that would have been easier uh, for me. But, um, and I do think that they should get it eventually, especially if the NWSL championship is going to be so late in the year. Yeah. I think that you have to be looking at it. It really know, limits your options. It does. It does. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I think that it makes sense talking about the, the, the kickoff time, though. You know, for me, here's what I'll say. As someone who has lived, uh, in the both the Eastern and the Central time zones, a noon kickoff is fine. That is right. actually really fine. Right. That is your expectation on a Saturday. You're probably what you, you know, you're used to watching college football at that time. Mm-hmm. It's that's not that big of a deal. The, the local issue, everyone will also like, you know, deal with, it'll be yeah. dealt with the people who should be the most concerned about this are the players. Yes. Um, and, and that's the thing that is kind of a bummer. So then question, if you were putting the CBA together, would uh, you say no 9am no games? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would for sure want that. But I also think that depends on like, you know, there's a list of priorities and that's like fairly right. far down the list, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that this, the kickoff time might get moved. Yeah. Uh, I have no basis for saying that. I just, if I was, again, if I was Merritt Paulson, I would prefer for the game to be on Paramount Plus or CBS Sports and have it at, even at noon local, you know, right. rather than have it at 9 a.m. Um, 
because I want people to come to the freaking game. Uh, right. And I think, I think they still will, but I, and this is like nationally, I think that you also have to balance like, okay. So if the thorns are in the championship, which is fairly likely, sure. Um, there, there is like an atmosphere thing. There's potentially a trade-off that you're making on TV. Like you can have it on, uh, you know, broadcast TV, but is it going to be the Providence park with the Portland thorns playing there that like people are going to expect and want to see. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know, man, we'll see. It's early. 9am is real early to go down to a soccer game on November 20th, on November 20th. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which is by the way, it's my birthday. Yeah. Big congrats, honestly, to Caitlin, who's going to get to go to the biggest game of all. Yep. on her birthday yeah, um, very exciting. but yeah no it seems to me I will say that like in the ways a lot of these are annoyances that I absolutely have the ability to get over the thing that I think is really tough is asking players yeah. November 20th it's gonna be right. 40 degrees yeah it's gonna that's be chilly. really tough and unnecessary and un- right and, and the, I mean the morning thing like occasionally there have been morning games before and it's I mean it's it's a challenge for a player because you have a certain routine that you're used to following before the game you want to get a certain amount of nutrition in in the day before you play but you don't right. want to you know eat too close to the game a lot so of teams a lot of teams the function of the team walk is to make sure that everybody's feeling okay right and yeah. if you don't have time to do that then right the whole timeline just gets so compressed when you have right. it in the morning like that yeah um but i'm glad to know that it's happening everybody get your tickets if you would like to um like i said i feel really good about the fact that there is a vaccination or negative test mandate i think that that is a big big positive and um at least we know better to know um so let's just talk portland a little bit we were planning on talking about a team that did play a game this week Mm -hmm. but they've played a lot of games we can just kind of pretend that one of them was this week um So you are in Portland and it seems like what they are putting together this season, it's an interesting place to be because it's very impressive, but they have not really run away with the league yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's the, what's the energy in Portland right now? I'm sure feeling very good, yeah. but nothing has been quite secured just yeah no that's that's interesting and that's like that's kind of a very Portland thing like like there's never really you know this team is good every year but they're it's always a little bit like they've never been like the dominant team like throughout the entire season like you know the clear well I mean I think they are the clear best team in the league but But they they weren't like results results one loss exactly sort of a thing yeah right exactly um but I mean, I think, I think the vibe is good. I think that I, when they won the, the ICC, which is like a fake tournament, doesn't, you know, shouldn't mean anything to anyone. It's a silly thing, but I, the, the feeling in the stadium, I think was like, okay, this is like, this is a team that is different from past teams. Um, I think the team has a feeling that like they're, doing something that's different and special this year. Um, and I don't know how much of that is just the approach they're taking. I don't know how much of that is like, I mean, it, it, it kind of feels like with Mark Parsons leaving at the end of the season, like this is like the culmination of some kind of project. Right. Um, and I think that the team kind of 
I think it would be hard not to feel that way if I was on this team. Um, and I do think that in a lot of ways they, you know, there's a basis for that that goes beyond just the fact that the, the coach is leaving. Um, I think that they're kind of putting together all these sort of different pieces that have been there in the past, but they've never quite uh, sort of actualized all the way. Um, mm-hmm. And this sounds like nonsense, I think, but the really the, the mentality of this team mm-hmm. is a thing that they have attempted to cultivate in past years and never quite done. Um, and it's the, the whole thing is that they don't, they don't focus on trying to win. They don't focus about results. They focus on the process and they focus on whether they're playing the way that they want to play. And it's kind of, I, I looked back to, you know, when the Olympics were happening and it kind of was wild to me that like, there wasn't really that much talk, you know, in past years, there's been so much talk of like, oh, all these players are going to leave. It's going to disrupt everything. Like, how are they going to get through this, this period, um, you know, with, without their stars and whatever. And that there wasn't much talk of that this year and that mm-hmm. the results did not drop off during that time. And what's even more amazing to me is that the, literally the formation, the way they set up didn't change during that time. And they just, I mean, Christine Sinclair left and they slotted in Marissa Everett where Christine Sinclair used to be. And it worked. I mean, they got results doing that. And so right. that, and, and I mean, it got even, you know, towards the end of, end of this, like five games in 16 days or whatever it was. I mean, you saw Natalia Kuika playing in midfield. You saw Madison Pogarsh at forward, like kind of having to resort to some pretty wild stuff and still able to get results. Um, and so yeah, I, I it's too early to call anything, obviously, and the and the actual standings are quite close, but um I think this is a team with like a lot of belief in themselves. Uh and, and I think that that again sounds kind of like nonsense, but I think it means something. Well, it certainly makes sense in the context of them getting results, right? Like yeah. I think when you have a lot of players leave and they did have a lot of players leave, but not really. It, we've seen more parity in that actually right. amongst the league. There, there've been quite a few teams that had a lot of players. Uh, leave. Yeah. Um, but like you said, the, the players that you just mentioned, none of which are the like stars of the yeah. team, right? The people who are the most versatile and the most bought in have, been with the team for a while i think is Mm -hmm. other than quika but she's just very good um but yeah i remember like way 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 back in the challenge cup um megan klingenberg was like um moonlighting as crystal dunn's like stand-in yep and (laughs) and and i remember thinking like huh that's that's a choice like instead of playing megan klingenberg in her natural position you're maintaining your shape by having (laughs) a good player, right. You could just go to, you could just go to three in the midfield, but right. And they chose not to do that. And, um, I don't think it's the first time a team has done that. I even remember in 2019, Chicago was very adamant that they were not going to change their shape no matter what. Yeah. But the fact that Portland just doesn't lose very many games with that mentality is unique, but that does lead to the next question, which is, have we seen the ceiling of what they can do with everybody? No, I don't think so. I think, I think they got close before the Olympics. I think, I think that stuff was like really starting to come together. Um, and then, I mean, like, ironically, I think it's, it's not that surprising, but I think that that team that was, you know, without the American national team players and, and Christine Sinclair, um, I think that team really peaked like 
right before during the ICC um, and was playing really, really well. Um, and then I think actually when you got Haran and Dunn and Sink back in there, I think it kind of took a little bit of a dip in certain ways. Um, and th- I mean, this is like, the, the, the team has said this a number of times. It, and, and, and in fact, this is one of those things that's been the case with past Thorns teams. It does take a while for them to like get it all together and mm-hmm. get the pieces together and make things work. And um, yeah, I don't know how long that takes, but short answer, no. I don't, I don't think that they've reached the peak of what they can do mm-hmm. uh, with their like preferred starting lineup. Um, do we even know what their preferred starting lineup is? Even yeah, that's the other thing is it's hard. I was yeah. I was thinking about this earlier today. It's like the right up top, you don't really know because I think that you can you can go with Smith, like you have Smith, Charlie, and Weaver. And right. I think that honestly, depending on the day, depending on how they're feeling, depending on the opponent, like I think any combination of those three potentially can be just as good. Well, um, and it's also very good to have one of them coming off the bench. Right. Well, and Morgan Weaver coming off the bench is yes. like, <laughs> that's, <laughs> right. that's the good stuff right there. Yes, right. <laughs> uh, but that, but then the midfield is also a, a puzzle too, because um, I think earlier pre-Olympics, it was basically Rocky Rodriguez, Christine Sinclair, Lindsay Horan, Crystal Dunn was the midfield, the preferred midfield. And mm-hmm. that put Rocky in the six, which is not her preferred position. Um. And then once those players left, Angela Salem started getting every start and Angela Salem has been incredible. Like yes. mm-hmm. one of the best players in the league, I think for my money. And, yes. um, <laughs> and so it's just hard. I mean, you have five players there. They can't all play at once. I don't know what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's settled. I mean, we saw Christine Sinclair at forward, um, Crystal Dunn can play at the eight or the 10, or even she could go up top. Um, okay. So maybe, so yes. So tangent here briefly, Crystal Dunn, the Crystal Dunn paradox, which is that yeah. she is one of your best players in probably four different and, positions, Yes, but where do you play her? And if you keep moving her around, is that it, right, Is that conducive to, right. right. Um, yeah. I don't know the answer to either of those questions. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how much getting her, I, I don't know how much moving her around hurts her. I don't know that moving between eight and a 10 is really going to be. No, that, right. Less that, right. Yeah. 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 Certainly if she was going to go to forward, like that would be a different thing, but I don't think they're going to do that at this point. Um, I would say that maybe my bias that I'm bringing to it is that I don't know if she's an eight. Yeah. Uh, I don't either. Especially I mean, I think if you're she in, can I mean, be. we, okay, we, we need to stop because we could go so long on this, but my thought is when you have a midfield with the availability of Angela Salem, who's your clear six, you got Rocky Rodriguez, you got Lindsay Horan, you've got Christine Sinclair and you've got Crystal Dunn. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you just don't run know the her with Horan and they just go crazy. I don't know. I don't know right. what you do. Well, yeah. And, yeah. I mean that, that like kind of, there was, there's kind of like a nice symmetry to playing Haran and, and Dunn both in the eight, because they right. both, you know, similarly, like don't really play a position. They play every position. So right. like there's something that's appealing in that, but I also think that she kind of in some ways deserves to be in the 10 too. Right. Uh, but like Christine Sinclair is there. So what are you going to do? Right. And, Sin- and Sinclair has been playing well. So yes, right. no, I, I get all of that. Anyway, good problems to have. Um, so this is, I'm now going to ask you the question that is going to pivot us into talking about the other teams. Mm-hmm. So Portland's very good, right? They're having a good mm-hmm. season. Great team. Why can't they beat the rain? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I don't know. 
Well, they did. They did beat the rain in the challenge cup. They did do that. For the record. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think it's two different, I think it's two pretty different situations. Um, I'm trying to remember, man. I it's the loss in Providence Park that's the right. Real that kicker. I yeah. I don't super remember how that happened. Megan I remember Rapino, that Megan Rapinoe Megan, went into God mode. Right, Megan was, Rapinoe yeah. happened. Yeah. yeah, that was a great game. I had a lot of fun at that game. I don't yeah. totally remember what I thought of how the Thorns actually played. Um, I do think, and this is like, I hope I don't sound like too homerish when I say this. I think that the the Thorns game in Seattle last weekend mm-hmm. was closer than it maybe looked and uh I really think that that can go either way and I I think if the thorns were not on incredibly short rest um I think that they at least could have salvaged a draw out of that if not a win oh I think Um, that I mean I think that's super fair right you have the one very nice goal by the rain you have a nice goal by Angela Salem you have a soft penalty right right there's that handball and it's like what are you gonna do about that yeah um but I do want to, so let's start talking about the rain then. Yeah. Because you probably have seen as many rain games as anybody we've had on the podcast recently, just as someone who is close to the area. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been through a lot this season. Yeah. And, and so I'm going to run down their results really quick. They played two games this week. They played a midweek game against Houston, which they won one to nothing on an early goal from Bethany Balser that they were able to hold on to. And then they tied Louisville. Again, another long stretch for them as well. Um, they tied Louisville one-to-one in Louisville. Nadia Nadine did score first, but then again, Bethany Balser got the equalizer. Um, I'll, I'll say a thing and you can tell if you can say, if you agree with me, um, Mm. the thing that I thought was always sort of keeping the rain afloat, even when they were sitting in eighth or whatever, were those players like Bethany Balser or Sophia Huerta or Zara King or Jess Fishlock, these players who have been with the team for a, a while or came up through the NWSL. Yeah. But we're starting to see maybe some of the imports uh-huh. really show some stuff too. And I think yeah. that maybe that's where they're in third now. They've won yeah. they got seven points, I think, out of... Um, they're, in, they're in third and tied with North Carolina. And with North points. Carolina, right, exactly, yeah. Huge surge by then. So... I don't know. Thoughts, thoughts on the <laughs> for the rain. Yeah. I think I, I broadly agree with that. I, I will. I mean, I, I want to add to like what I just said about that game last weekend. I did think that the rain were good in that game. I was yeah. impressed with them. And um, yeah, I thought Mara was really good. I've been surprised by LaSalle Mayer. I think that she's been good too. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's, it's like so hard to say how much of this is just like <laughs> literally playing players in positions that make sense. And yes. Like, right. Just like yeah. basic team management stuff that Laura Harvey is now doing effectively mm-hmm. um, because the roster is good. Like even, <laughs> even when they were losing, you'd look at the roster and it's, it's uh, there's no reason for that to be a bad team. Right. Um, I was going to go. Oh yeah. Place I was, was going to go with this is, is just um, yesterday's game um, to add, I, I think sort of goes in that group of players that you're mentioning. The The moment for me that that game turned was when Fishlock and Quinn went in. Yes. Um, for sure. And it, it was so clear to me that like they had been missing Quinn's presence mm-hmm. uh, in the midfield. And yeah. I think that, yeah, I I don't know what there is to say about that. You got to have a number six. Quinn's good. Quinn's a good number six. Well, and, I mean, uh, it, it ties into, and this is kind of a theory that I'm building, which is that the NWSL has a number of very good defensive or even yeah. uh, just other central midfielders. Like I'm thinking of 
You've got Angela Salem, who's having a very good season. You've got Quinn. You've got Morgan Gatra in mm-hmm. Gotham, or sorry, in Chicago. You've got Ali Long at Gotham. You've got yeah. a number of players who are having very good seasons in the midfield without maybe necessarily scoring a ton of goals or, or being right. really flashy. Right. Um, and I think that that is driving a lot of positive play for teams. Yeah, I absolutely. I agree with that. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those positions that you don't necessarily, like you said, they don't get on the score sheet necessarily. And a lot of people might not really appreciate the contribution, but um, you know, when you have Morrow and Lissamere on the field and they're not, able to the rain are not able to hold on to the ball and then you put Quinn on and suddenly like they they can maintain possession and and win the ball in the midfield and set those players up like yeah that's the difference you just have to have one of those players yep um and this yeah this is not soccer analysis but I do think and kudos truly to Mm -hmm. the rain roster and to their coaching staff they were brought in to kind of be this super team Mm mm-hmm and they had a healthy amount of adversity at the beginning of this season. Yeah, they did. And instead of responding to that by kind of, you know, shrugging it off and being like, oh, I didn't care that much anyway, and <laughs> sort of falling apart, they have responded by being very engaged and wanting to do much better. Yeah. And I think that Laura Harvey coming in is part of that. But I also think, you know, you have to look at Sam Lady, who was the interim mm-hmm. coach for them, who really sort of reset things. I don't know that team. And we've talked about this on this podcast before. There are questions. There were questions at the beginning of the season of who OL rain was. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you watched that game against Portland and you're like, man, that kind of looked like the Seattle rain right there. It did. And it's just <laughs> it really, I, in them. I had the yeah. right. I was thinking about this too, is like Laura Harvey is back with his team and she kind of looks like, I mean, it kind of looks like what she used to do with yeah. his team. Right. <laughs> um, which is, pretty cool I think I think it's great I think it's very good to have them at the high end of the table big part of the title race right now I think that it's important to have multiple teams I was not looking forward to it becoming a two-team race between North Carolina and Portland again um so that's that on the rain we'll hit on a couple other things here I do want to hit through the other results so just the other results of the weekend Gotham the reason we're not spending a lot of time on this is because not a lot happened (laughs) Gotham hosted Chicago that was a nil-nil draw. Um, as someone who focuses on Chicago, I can say, watch this one pretty closely. Chicago had a very nice first half, could not get a breakthrough. Uh, Gotham registered zero shots on goal and also did not concede. So what to say about a game like that? It definitely was a soccer game. Um, Orlando hosted Houston on Sunday on big CBS. And I thought it was a good game for a CBS game. Uh, Two goals, an opener by Rachel Daly, an equalizer by Taylor Korniak. Houston's struggles to close games out continues. Uh, And the final game was Kansas City hosting North Carolina. No goals in that one either. My only thought about this one was Kansas City, again, kind of looked like the better team. (laughs) Casey Murphy had a very good game. And what I said this before, with a Kansas city performance, I can't tell the difference between a win and a loss by four goals. Cause it's <laughs> the same. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So maybe holistically looking at all of this, right. So Louisville has a tough week, but they get a point. That's really good for them. They're probably not in the playoff weight race really, but 
in terms of sort of holding on to that core identity, getting a great goal out of Nadia Nadim is mm. awesome. Um, so the rain actually probably should have won that. There was a goal called off by Jessica Fishlock that actually probably wasn't offside. Um, but not a lot of separation here. We still don't know who's going where. And so maybe I'll, I'll ask you this from your, from your perch at the top. Mm-hmm. What teams have you watched and you think to yourself, mm, other than maybe the top three, or even maybe North Carolina isn't in this right now because they've had yeah. sort of an interesting couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. What team do you watch and you think, if this team just makes it to the playoffs, that's a dangerous team? I mean, rain for sure. And I and like I had that thought, I think, for the first time last weekend. I was like, this is a team that can – definitely beat the thorns um North Carolina I don't know I don't know what to make of North Carolina yeah uh, <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say about that I will um, say that I will say that North Carolina over the last three or four weeks it's been a lot on the back of Casey Murphy they have a mm. very good goalkeeper and that has been the difference that's why they won one to nothing against Chicago it's I just think that they you know it kept they had another nil nil draw last week against the spirit they're sort of grinding right now I don't know yeah. if they're really separating themselves in terms of their style of play. well right and it's so I mean it's like we said earlier it's so close at the top of the table there that like I don't right I don't know which of those teams really like deserves to be in second place based on their actual form right now um I don't know the only other one is maybe Houston um yeah. just because they I mean they've given the thorns trouble in the past, like even in, even in past seasons, they've always kind of given the thorns trouble. Um, and then, you know, obviously they beat them in the challenge cup. And I think that, I, I think that Houston always sort of throws something a little different at Portland. Um, I always kind of feel like they're, they do something that the thorns are not necessarily expecting and they have to sort of think through it in a moment. So that's, that's always an interesting game to me. So that's maybe the other one I would say. Yeah, I, I would say that I agree with you. And I do think it's interesting that Houston at this moment is one of the teams outside of the playoff positions, mm-hmm. because to me, they are the team that I watch and I go, this team could actually yes. really be dangerous. Yeah, for sure. But for whatever reason, this regular season campaign, that consistency is just, but that's the whole thing, right? Houston yeah. aren't consistent. We know right. that, but that's why they're the team you don't want to play right. in a one game. <laughs> playoff game. Yeah. You never know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, that's why they're scary. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. Um, I'm happy to see Kansas city start to pull some stuff together. You know, they got the win in the midweek. They did lose kind of bad to Chicago, but they get another point this week. Those are positives. Um, but yeah, just still really inconclusive. So I'm going to ask you this. You don't have to stand by it in any way. Um, the moment (laughs) this comes out, but I'm going to ask you this just because you're here. Uh, if Portland, is playing at nine o'clock in the morning at home <laughs> on November 20th against yeah. any of these teams. Yeah. Do they win? I, I, against any, like in general, do they win that game? Well, it's, it's similar to the question of who scares you, I guess. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think, think they of win. them against the team that scares you the most. Yes. I think they win. You think they win? Yep. I do think that the championship game announcement has made it not, I don't think it's why Portland would win a final, but I do make, think it makes it slightly easier. Um, yeah. It the adverse conditions work in their favor, I think. 
Yes. Um, right. It's, it, and it's always like the 9am kickoff time sucks for both teams and it's going to be better for the team that's at home. Is the exactly. Thing. Right. Exactly. Well, that has been a lot. We had a lot to talk <laughs> about. I know not a lot of game action, but this week kind of was what it was. Uh, thank you, Caitlin, so much for joining me. Thank you to Blue Wire Podcast, our podcast distributor. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This has been this week's edition of the Equalizer Podcast. And hopefully we'll just be talking about games next week, but also who knows? So stick with us, everybody. We'll see you next time.